blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always now in the month of July, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is part four of the training camp preview series as we wrap up the quote-unquote skill players. Every player at this level is a skill player. We're talking Dolphins tight ends, the unique facts about this group, the individual skill sets, Coach Godsey's influence, and a whole lot more. Plus, we continue our NFL season preview with part six. Are you keeping those tallies on the parts of these series? We'll take a look at the AFC North, which features one team that Miami will see this season in the Baltimore Ravens. All of that and a heck of a lot more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Miami Dolphins. So we jump into the tight end position here for the fourth part of our preview series. We have already covered the receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks, and now we get to the guys that play really in all three phases of the offensive part, uh, side of the game with pass protection, route running, and in the running game. And this right here, I mean, these podcasts, these episodes, this time of year, This is really my wheelhouse, my bread and butter, if you will, because I love the draft. Don't get me wrong. It's probably the best part of the year outside of the actual NFL or the NFL season. I'm also a big fan of free agency and watching the tape to see how new parts kind of factor in. But with the season on the horizon, I can feel the football coming down the pike. And this prep work, it does wonders for your season knowledge heading into the upcoming season. It gives me a chance to sharpen up on some of the numbers I may have missed from the previous season, plugging in the all 22 to get your final work from the previous year's tape done, and then working to memorize the jersey numbers because nothing is more important for training camp than memorizing everybody's numbers. You have to know the numbers if you want to have any chance of getting quality constructive notes on a snap-by-snap basis because it happens so fast out there on the practice field with 91 guys, given the Dolphins' uh, exemption with Durval, Kirez, Neto, 91 players on their 90-man roster. So we roll on here on part four, and I find this group of Dolphins tight ends interesting for a few reasons, and this is basically the entire roster. So, you know, I'm not trying to just say it to hype up every episode, but genuinely, I think each group has a lot of intrigue to it. And with this one, first, they set the franchise record and then they weren't complacent as far as numbers go in pass catching. I love the way the position was invested in, like we talked about with the receiver position, in terms of giving yourself a myriad of options, not just for 2021, but beyond that as well, because you draft Mike Gesicki and Durham Smythe in the same class, that obviously means they come up as far as their contracts go in the same year. This 2021 season is the last of their rookie four-year contracts. And so while not losing any of the four incumbents on the roster, the Dolphins went out and made additions in three completely different avenues, three different pipelines as far as bringing talent into the building. Number one, Seathan Carter, the free agent route, a pretty common route, an accomplished player with regards to special teams and as a blocker in the running game. He has some receptions too, but it hasn't been the bread and butter of his career so far. You spend a premium resource, I think 
81st pick in the draft is a premium resource. What would you say the cutoff is? I'm going to say top 100 picks are where the premium cutoff is. Either way, you get Hunter Long at pick 81. And man, he has been high functioning in both the run and the pass game in college at Boston College. Then you give yourself something of a low risk, potentially high reward with a UDFA in Jibri Blunt. Not sure that you can expect a basketball player to pick it up right away in year one, but that's a nice project to work on, a guy that can work on developing his game and getting used to the game of football because he was a basketball player in college, especially when you consider the track record of hoopers turned into not just you know good players in the league, but some, some of the star tight ends and the Hall of Fame tight ends in this league started their career that way on the basketball court. And Jibri is pliable, athletic as hell, and has all the length in the world and a solid 245-pound frame. So he's intriguing that way from the the on-paper look with that player. Finally, you look at the ages of these players. Hunter Long is the newcomer who turns 23 prior to opening day. Jibri Blunt is 24. Then everybody else is basically the same age in the 25-26 range with birthdays that come close to each other. All of those guys either 25 or 26 years old. So in total, all seven guys in this room would be in a hypothetical high school at the same time between proverbial seniors and Adam Shaheen and Durham Smythe and Seath and Carter with Hunter Long as the freshman at 23 years old and then Gasicki and Meyerick are both 25 years old. I guess they would be your juniors on this four-year analogy with Blunt as the sophomore, so to speak. So 23 to 26, all these guys in that same age range. And additionally, we talked about this in the receivers preview, how Mike Gasicki has the alignment, the snaps, and the production of a good slot receiver in the National Football League. Now he can play anywhere and he has out wide in the slot or in line. And I remember the 2019 Jets game when they flexed him out because the Jets were insistent on covering him with linebackers throughout the course of that game and they just couldn't do it. So the Dolphins put him out wide and he took advantage of those matchups and had the biggest day of his career to that point in 2019. So you can capitalize on his abilities as an outside receiver when the situation calls for it. But I love the re- the way the rest of this room really complements what Mike does well. And he was the most accomplished player on the roster last year at the position. You look at the workloads of Shaheen and Smythe. They have accomplished pass and run blocking numbers and resumes in this league, not from college, in the National Football League. So for instance, when you go to tight ends, which is your 12 personnel set, or it could be 22 personnel, the second number in the two number phrase for personnel is your tight ends. It goes running backs, then tight ends. So when you do go 12 personnel, two tight ends, you can call on one of those guys to stay in for more of a max protection type of look while you let Mike Gasicki, when typically you go max protect, it's two routes, but you can use Mike as either one of the two. You can use him for a third player in the route. Either way, it helps give you Mike Gasicki's route running ability and the pass blocking ability of those other two tight ends with how they complement one another. Now, Hunter Long can do that too, but also has the receiving resume coming in out of college, and we'll see if he can continue that as a pro, but his last year at Boston College led college football, our tight ends and all of college football in receptions last year. He was the focal point of the offense. You saw it when they played good team or bad team, whatever it was, the the offense ran through Hunter Long at BC in the passing game when he was prior to that, mostly an inline blocking tight end. So 
All that being said, we should remember this with Gesicki and Smythe too. Learning tight end is a tough ask in this league. All three phases of offense with the pass game, the running game, as well as pass protection. But Hunter is a sharp kid. You know about the fact that he builds computers and can solve a Rubik's Cube in like the snap of a finger. He's a sharp kid that has done it all. So hopefully that process for him, because of the the intellect or intelligence, whatever you want to say there, because of that, maybe he can be a bit accelerated in his process. Then again, to mention the development opportunity for a guy like Blunt, Carter's ability to play the up back, an H back, in line and on special teams. And then Meyerick is definitely in that mold of a dirty work type of tight end. He did it his entire career at Temple. So we mentioned the additions to the, to the tight end room. Nobody left. Seathan Carter, Hunter Long, and Jibri Blunt are the additions. Nobody out the door on the other side. And coaching these guys up is George Godsey, Miami's tight ends coach last year, has been promoted to co-offensive coordinator. And under his watch last year, 91 collective receptions and 1,061 yards spread among the Dolphins tight ends. Both of those were franchise records among Dolphins tight ends and 11 touchdowns tied to the franchise mark. So what a great year for George Godsey's position room. And this will be Godsey's third year with Miami. And you look at his track record across couple of decades of coaching football. He's coached every position on offense besides the offensive line, receivers, tight ends, running backs, quarterbacks. He was even the contingency plan quarterback last year. We heard Coach Flores talk about this, all the contingencies this Dolphins team had in the COVID protocol year and what a weird, weird year that was. And we saw Coach Godsey get some, I guess, double duty there to get elevated to quarterbacks coach when Robbie Brown was not available. And the first game that he was available as the quarterbacks coach, uh, George Godsey, was the Arizona game when Tua threw for over 300 yards and the offense was clicking big time in that game. So we talked this, we've talked about this on every podcast so far, and it's going to be a theme on the defensive positions as well. This Dolphins coaching staff, these guys, it's it's not like I talked about on the podcast with the receivers. It's not just the players on the field. The entire organization under Brian Flores calls for versatility and wearing multiple hats, the more you can do in this league. And Coach Godsey, he was even a defensive assistant and slash special projects with the Lions in 2017. He was the tight ends coach back for the Patriots in the early aughts, back when they had the Gronkowski-Hernandez dual threat there, which was you know kind of revolutionary at the time in the NFL. So all this is to say that Godsey's resume, his track record, his experience, it, it all lends itself to the idea of why he would get this promotion and be in a position to be an offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator. And if, you, if you've heard George talk at all on the press conferences, we had him bi-weekly last year, I believe it was. He just goes so in-depth and talks about the differences between how you attack certain alignments, certain personnel packages, certain route concepts. He just is very good at communicating what he, he, what's in his head and getting it on the paper and teaching it that way. He taught me as much as any coach last year in those press conferences. So you can see kind of why he has earned curried favor here in Miami. We talked about the group already, the seven guys all kind of in that same age range. Mike Gesicki up top with finishing the top 10 among tight ends in catches and touchdowns and, and yardage, 703 yards, six touchdowns last year. Smythe had career highs in all three categories as well, 26, 208, and two. And Shaheen matched his reception and touchdown total, 12 and three, and his 127 yards was a career high. And then Chris Myrick made his NFL debut last year, appearing in three games as a practice squad call-up. And then, of course, the newcomer 
as Seathan Carter was a special teams captain with the Bengals. Jibri Blount, we talked about his length and athletic ability, and Hunter Long among the most productive tight ends in all of college football last season. As far as some more in-depth talk on these individuals, we start here going in order of the jersey number. Adam Shaheen's up first. He wears number 80. He's got four years NFL experience out of Ashland. You might recall he got a contract extension last year, so he doesn't have to deal with going into free agency. 26 years old on opening day. And remember, he was acquired not on the eve of training camp, but a couple of weeks before training camp kicked off down here in Miami. And he made it a point talking to us in the media about some of his career goals and personal goals. And one of the things that he wanted to do was to stay healthy because it was a problem for him in Chicago where he'd only get a few games in every season. He'd have to go to the injured reserve or injured list, whatever it might be. And he wasn't available for the Bears in those games. So he made it a point of emphasis to make sure that he worked on his body to get himself ready for a season. And he wound up playing all 16 games last season. Again, matching career best in touchdown and receptions. And that 43-yard catch and run in week six against the Jets in that shutout victory was the longest of his career. And I thought was really the moment that kind of turned that game because it was ugly early on. The Dolphins' defense was getting after it, but they also were having problems putting points on the board offensively. And then Adam Shaheen uh, hits a big run down the middle, down inside the five-yard line. Dolphins punch it in. And from that point, you kind of felt like with the way the defense was playing, the Jets had their backup quarterback in, you felt like the game was kind of not locked away, but you felt good about it at that point. So a big play there from Adam Shaheen. He also allowed just one quarterback pressure on 39 pass blocking reps. And he also cleared the land on some big runs from Miami, particularly off the edge as the end man on the line of scrimmage. I love the way he runs the football after he catches it. He was a nominee for Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football. Uh, his angry run segment. He drops the shoulder and has enough juice to win the edge on those flat routes where it's a race between a tight end and a linebacker. He's got the juice to win that edge, turn that thing up and turn a five or six yard gain into a 12 or 13 yard gain. And he also, with the way he's used so much in the blocking game and kind of sealing and cracking down, that creates opportunities to throw to guys like him as well as Durham Smythe. We'll talk about here in just one second to throw to those guys on kind of some tendency breakers down around the red zone, and they can catch the football and put that thing away and put six points on the board. Speaking of Durham Smythe, number 81, three years NFL experience out of Notre Dame. He too will be 26 years old come opening day. And in addition to setting career best in the major receiving categories, he has been a core special teams ace for Miami since his rookie season, playing better than 200 snaps every single year so far of his career. 224 snaps last year on Danny Crossman's special teams unit and played a key part in a unit that ranked number three on football outsiders in terms of special teams overall rankings. He did not allow a single hit on his quarterback in 66 pass protection reps and was on the field for 231 run blocking plays. And when you watch him in the running game he functions in multiple capacities as a blocker whether he's climbing to the second level hitting that second level block on a linebacker sealing off the edge for a c-gap run or an outside run even or coming across the formation to dig out the backside defender that's my favorite thing that Durham does so well at there was a play against the Patriots in 2018 yeah it was the miracle game when Brandon Bolden had a long touchdown run for Miami the one year Bolden was here in Miami and if you look at that play Durham Smythe had the key block in the hole coming across the formation. So I like watching him get that work done. Again, the dirty work that no one really appreciates as far as the, you know, watching the game on Sundays on your big screen TV. You kind of have to go back through the film to really appreciate what Durham does so well. And it's the same deal as Shaheen, where you talk about his usage can create chances down in the red zone because he's such a good blocker 
that a lot of times down there in those 13 personnel packages with heavy offensive line, you expect a running play, you pull that thing back out of the belly, and you toss it to a wide open tight end. Just see Durham's touchdown against the Chargers where there was nobody within, you know, they were over in in, in Broward County, and we were down in Dade County <laughs> at Hard Rock Stadium. So that's what both those guys can do for you in the red zone. Seath and Carter, the next guy up on our list here, number 82, four years experience, all with the Bengals. He played in Nebraska at college, 26 years old on opening day. And again, operated in multiple roles for the Bengals the last three years. He missed 2018. So he's played three seasons, has been in the pros for four years, but he aligns all over the offensive formation, but used largely in a blocking role. And you really love the way he wins with technique, but also also effort. And that was evident on a 62-yard screen pass to Joe Mixon. And this is going way back. I went and watched a lot of his tape when we first signed him in 2017, where Carter sprints 25 yards down the field for a key block on a huge screen pass for the Bengals on that particular game. He also finished top 50 in the NFL all three years that he has played in special teams tackles. He had 24 tackles on 896 career special teams reps while earning a career best grade last year from Pro Football Focus at 82.1. So, Captain in Cincinnati on special teams. He can get the job done that way. Hunter Long, our next player up here, the rookie, number 84 out of Boston College, 23 years old on opening day. The 57 catches he made led all college tight ends. And again, just another one of these well-rounded guys you add to the room. And he talked about this with the first couple of years of his career. They were a 66 to 33 run heavy team. You might recall AJ Dillon and those Boston college games. Like he would get 35, 40 carries and they would win games 17 to 13. And Hunter Long was a big part of that as the end man on the line of scrimmage, getting the dirty work done as a run blocker. But then this last year, they became a passing team and it was more 45, 55 in favor of the pass. And Hunter said this, I asked him about that after he was drafted. He said, I always say that I feel like I got the best of both worlds at BC with both offenses. Obviously it was more run heavy offense. And then this past year, we really opened up the pass game. I think it allowed me to become a well-rounded tight end and work at all aspects of the position. And as a Catching tight end, he caught 67% of his passes and averaged 14.6 yards per catch. It's a big figure for a tight end. Mike Gesicki had 13.3 this year, and he was in the top 10 in the National Football League. And the 14.6 yards per catch came along with nine touchdown catches at BC for Hunter Long. And when I watched his tape in college, I like the way he understands the nuance of route running in terms of how you attack defenders to put them at a disadvantage because he has that big frame, that big body, And when you use the body to accomplish creating that leverage on the defender, you really have to use your hands away from the frame to kind of catch the football. And he can do that. But he also has the ability to kind of explode off the top of that route with some quickness at the top of the route. And with a big catch radius and those trusty hands, you create another, you know, half yard of separation in that particular arena. That could make all the difference in the world throwing the ball to his direction. But he uses his arms, his hands to create windows for his quarterback and to to get the defender kind of off balance as they try to shoot to, to jam him or press him or to reroute him. He's really good at just kind of staying within his framework and staying consistent and staying on track, on speed, off the stem of his route to get to the top of the route before he breaks that thing off. So I really enjoyed watching him play. We saw that at rookie minicamp into OTAs, and we'll get a chance to see that here at training camp coming up 
in just a couple of weeks. Chris Myrick, number 85, two years with the Dolphins, mostly on the practice squad out of Temple, 25 years old on opening day, made his debut last year, played in three games, played just 15 snaps with seven of those on special teams, eight on offense. He's six foot five, 261, so the biggest dude in the room in terms of his weight. And he came to the pros with an established college resume once again, as a run blocker, a lot of these guys can play that extra man on the end line to help the running game. Been on the practice squad the last two years, but you watch him develop his game. He gets better every single year, every single month. And again, I'm a big Temple tough guy. I love watching Temple, especially back in the Matt Rule days. Big fan of his training camp in 2019. I'm really curious to get a look at him this year early on in the preseason games. Man, I'm so excited for preseason football. You probably think I'm crazy. Mike Gesicki, number 88, three years out of Penn State, 25 years old on opening day. And one of my favorite parts of last season was having Aronde Gadsden on the podcast before the Bengals game and talking about that famous catch that he had or a couple of the famous catches he had. And then Mike Gesicki goes out and does the exact same thing, almost on the same part of the field that Gadsden did that. That was really cool to see. But this guy's been the most productive Dolphins tight end since Randy McMichael. And Gasicki's career trajectory continues to climb. He's gotten better in every category every year so far, improving really his entire game every season. That's exactly what Brian Flores has talked about with his team. Like, get better than you were the previous day, the previous week, the previous month, and so on and so forth. But this guy is becoming not just a big-time, you know, highlight reel catching tight end, but the big play tight end as well. He averaged 11.6 A dot average depth of target last year, and that was second in the National Football League behind just Rob Gronkowski of the Buccaneers. And as a result, Gasicki tied for fourth among tight ends with a 13.3 yards per reception figure last year. That long catch and run against the 49ers, I think we all remember that, 70-something yards on that catch and run. He also caught 17 of 29 contested catches in 2020. He averaged 8.57 yards per target, a real nice figure there, and 1.6 yards per route run. All of these numbers career best last year from Mike Gasicki, and his 703 receiving yards was fourth most, and his six touchdowns tied for eighth among all tight ends in the National Football League. So every stat across the board, this guy was in the top 10 at the position group. And I talked about the improvements he made statistically. For me, the contact balance, and there's a there's a great play against the Jets last year, his touchdown catch where he posterized a Jets defender after he beat him off the snap and fits through him a nice kind of back pile on ball, but he had to come back and get it over the top of the defender. But on that play, you watch the safety. Basically, he's on his toes playing forward. So, and I asked Mike about this post game about how, what do you see was as far as how you get around that guy? or How do you manage to improve what you have to do to get to the point of the route you have to get to when a defender is trying to reroute you. And he talked about how reading the leverage of the defensive back and knowing that he wants to get hands. So you make yourself harder to hit by kind of showing some wiggle, but also some strength to absorb that contact and stay on your line, stay on your route. And Doing that and also learning how to kind of stay on his feet and maintain that speed and acceleration through contact has been a big boon for Mike Gesicki as far as I'm concerned when I watch the tape. He's been really good in that area, a big area of growth from his rookie season. And plus, for a quarterback like Tua who really shines with the anticipatory throws and kind of throwing the ball to a location, his ability to go up and haul down those contested catches 
that that goes a long way with the skill set that Tua has. So looking forward to a nice year here from Mike Gesicki. And we finish out this this position group with Jibri Blunt, number 89, the rookie out of North Carolina Central, 24 years old opening day. I don't have any football stats for you, but I can tell you between Cleveland State and North Carolina Central, he played college hoops for five years. He stands six foot five, weighs 245 pounds. He had 19.1 points per game last year and 9.3 boards per game. I was really curious to see his rebound total while also leading the conference. And this kind of speaks to his length because stealing is all about getting your hands in passing lanes. He led the conference in steals en route to his 2020 MEAC Player of the Year honors in 2020. And if his name sounds familiar, it's because his father is Mel Blunt, the legendary NFL Hall of Famer. A cool story I read about Jibri is that once when he was in the third grade, he took his dad's two Super Bowl rings that he had at the time. He would go on to win four. He took two of them to school as a third grader without Mel knowing. And I'm sure that that was a bit of a heartache for Mel that, at that moment. But once he got them back, I'm sure it was all a great story as we tell it here on the podcast. That's your tight end room. Again, we've done the quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers. We're going to continue on this podcast talking about our sixth of the eight divisional previews, the AFC North. And we're going to see one team from this division this year on Thursday night football, week 10 at Hard Rock Stadium for an 8.20 p.m. Eastern kick on November 11th against the Baltimore Ravens. Let's go ahead and start there with the dreaded Ravens. I mean, how many times in your lifetime as a Dolphins fan, and this is a team that came into the league in the late 90s, so it's not like they've been around forever, but how often does this team seem to serve as a roadblock for the Dolphins in crucial seasons going back to 2001 playoffs when they eliminated Miami at Pro Player Stadium or the 2008 playoffs did the exact same thing once again. There was a big game in 2016 when we went to Baltimore and that game did not fare very well. 2017, Thursday night football, 4-2 and two going to Baltimore. They're banged up, still can't get that W. So this is a team that well, Dolphins fans maybe don't look upon so fondly and that's out of respect because we're such a good football team. But the biggest win the Dolphins seem to have notched over Baltimore this century was the 2007 Greg Camarillo moment. But all of that has me excited for this one because how can we defend Lamar and that run game? I view the Ravens as a measuring stick, a litmus test of sorts because of how good they are in that regard. A team that's so different than what the rest of the league has kind of trended towards in the passing game. First, their offseason, I loved it personally. Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace to the receiver core. I think all three of those guys mix well with Lamar Jackson. Kevin Zeitler and Michael Schofield. Alejandro Villanueva on the offensive line. Does he step in and replace Orlando Brown? It's a big loss on the offensive line. He was a monster of a player on that offensive line. Jawan James signs with Baltimore. Now he got injured this offseason. There was a big deal with he and the, and the Broncos and the PA about his injury being uh at the team facility or away from the team facility. But either way, he winds up here with Baltimore and the Ravens. He'll be back probably next season. And then in the draft, Odafe Owe. You might have remember him as Jason Owe from Penn State. He changed his name. Good for him. Be who you are. Uh, he's one of the freakiest pass rushers in this entire draft class. Dalen Hayes, Geno Stone, the uh, veteran safety, they add him. And then Sean Wade out of Ohio State, another guy I liked. They got him in the seventh round of this year's draft. I don't really think there's a storyline here with the quarterback position, despite the fact that everybody seemingly wants to make one out of it, Lamar Jackson's an elite quarterback. That's all there is to it. I mean, he threatens the defense in multiple ways, and he is the ultimate creator of conflict, our favorite word on this podcast this summer. I've seen the idea that so many of these Ravens running backs are big-time players, but you know what the one constant is with all those running backs? Is that Lamar Jackson's there. He makes the running game go. 
How about that Browns game last year, the Monday Night Football Classic? Remember how things were looking kind of dark there for the Ravens and really great for the Dolphins because if Baltimore loses that game, if Lamar Jackson stays in the locker room for one more play on that fourth down and they lose that game, the Dolphins are in the playoffs at 10 wins. So he pinched it off, came back in, and got the Ravens into the winner's circle in that crazy, exhilarating, fun game, but ultimately the worst game of the year on the calendar for Miami. But either way, Lamar Jackson, you saw the difference that he brought to the offense when he was out of the lineup and then back into the lineup for that Ravens team. Even his rookie season, they were like three and three and he comes in and they win almost every game the rest of the way, get into the playoffs and then have the great season in 2019. And last year have another good run towards the end of the year to make a push all the way into divisional round of the playoffs. Speaking of the running backs, I love J.K. Dobbins. I always have. I think he's the most talented guy that they have or that they've given Lamar Jackson so far to pair in that backfield. And they're going to be a problem. They both have so much speed and breakaway ability. And the storyline with this offense is his emergence coupled with the added weapons they have. And Rashad Bateman is a perfect addition for them to play that RPO, kind of the exposition, quick hit, win with physicality type of receiver. But he's more than just physicality. He can also create separation with his routes. He complements the track team they have with Hollywood Brown and Devin Duvernay, plus going out and getting Sammy Watkins. And they add Tylen Wallace, who can do a little bit of everything too. Really talking myself into this offense as we go along here. Not to mention one of the best tight end rooms in the league, led by Mark Andrews. They get Ronnie Stanley back up front on the offensive line. One of the biggest losses in the NFL last season. And they did what we talked about with multiple resources invested to attempt to fill a vacancy left there by Orlando Brown with Jawan James, with Villanueva, and Tyree Phillips also developing there in year number two. And at some point, losing on the other side of the ball, losing all these stud pass rushers, you would think has to catch up to them, right? Because it seems like every year a big-time name goes out the door. This year, it's Matt Judon who goes to the Patriots. They do bring back Pernell McPhee, who continues to just kill it in that scheme. He was back last year with the team after going to Chicago from Baltimore originally. But they also add Odafe Owe, who I have little doubt will be a hit for this team because that's what they do. They draft guys and they turn into stars on that defense. But then you look at the secondary after, you know, talking about maybe some question marks up front. Secondary is one of the few in the league that I think I would measure up to what Miami has on their roster. Marlon Humphrey, elite, elite cornerback. Marcus Peters is a takeaway machine. Tavon Young and Jimmy Smith are at worst number two cornerbacks on at least half the rosters in the National Football League. They're probably your three and four corners in this on this uh, particular club. Iman Marshall, Anthony Averett. Then they get Sean Wade, who had a tough 2020 season at Ohio State after being a possible top pick in 2019. He goes back and his stock suffers a little bit that way. You add Geno Stone to go with Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott and Anthony Levine. The names just keep coming on that Baltimore defense. This is the most difficult team in the NFL to come from behind on because they can take the air out of the football and play such good takeaway defense. And if you put the ball up in the air 50 times, they're going to take it away a couple. So they're really tough out. I cannot wait for that game in November. Also in the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers. What a team in transition here for Pittsburgh. The offensive line's the big story here for me. David DeCastro's out. Trey Turner is in. And it was tough sledding last year. And now Pouncey is retired. You lose Matt Feeler to the Chargers. And then with Big Ben at this stage of his career, what is he going to be? The offense really struggled late in the year. They had no ability whatsoever to push the ball vertically down the field and had no running game. So teams were just squatting on their short to intermediate passing game. And it did not work at all for Pittsburgh after the 11-0 start. Did they do enough to score enough points in 2021? We know their defense dazzles, but what about on offense? I mean, it's basically Ben or bust at this point. He And he's missed games pretty much every year of his career for a decade now. 
And if he's ineffective again, do you go back to Mason Rudolph? I mean, we'll see. Those were actually, I guess, kind of the stories of the offseason was the, the losses this team took. Mike Hilton was a big player for them in the secondary. Now it's going to be, you know, Justin Lane or Cameron Sutton stepping up into that possible second cornerback where you have to play over 1,000 snaps if you play every snap at that position. And the top guy, Joe Hayden, I mean, he's a, been a good player for a long, long time, but how much longer can he do it for? So the question on this team is probably in the secondary and the offensive line, but the rest of that defense is loaded up, man. Up front, they are as good as anyone with Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tua, and TJ Watt. How do they replace Bud Dupree? We'll find out about that. But back to the offense here real quick. Can they find a running game in a division that has two of the top three or four running teams in all of football? Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster is a nice duo with Deontay Johnson might even be one of the better of the three, showing his medal as a route runner and big play guy last season. Had some dropsies, but you watch him create space and create separation. That's a big part of his game. Speaking of big plays, James Washington and Ray Ray McLeod. McLeod's more of a return man, but they have weapons. And again, are the complementary parts going to make it all function as well as you'd like it to in Pittsburgh for the Steelers. Their offseason, Najee Harris, we know all about his college accomplishments. Pat Fryermuth, their first two picks on offense, not on the offensive line was an interesting way to go after it, but they did get two good players there. Trey Turner in for DeCastro. They get Joe Haig on the offensive line as well. Isaiah Loudermilk and Tyson Alu-Alu add to the defensive line with Chris Wormley, and they go out and they get Quincy Roche out of the University of Miami. The Cleveland Browns, Kind of want to put this team as the AFC North champion. We'll talk about that here in just one second. But they're offseason. Malik Jackson, Tommy Togi, a couple of nice defensive tackles. Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley get added on the edge. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Can he be that Joe Schobert replacement? Because they really missed Schobert in 2020. Anthony Walker, another one of these good athletic linebackers. Troy Hill adds the defensive secondary from the Rams. Greg Newsom, their first-round draft pick out of Northwestern. And then John Johnson, the do-it-all safety slash slot there from the Rams. Troy Hill and John Johnson were two of the best, one of the best pairings of additions any team made in the National Football League this offseason. They also go out and get Richard LeCount, the safety from Georgia, this past draft as well. So that right there is your storyline. They injected talent into the defense. Every name I just gave you was on defense because they just didn't really have a hole to fill on offense after the 2020 season, but the big additions in the secondary from the Rams is is what you point to here to go along with Denzel Ward, and then we'll see if Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams can find their college form, Delpit coming off an injury, and with Greg Newsom in tow, if they get one of Delpit or Williams to hit, that's a five solid guys you need out there in that secondary, plus you add Clowney to compliment uh, Miles Garrett, who's the best player in the damn division for my money off the edge. I mean, good luck running the football there, and if Garrett is you know, the best outside rusher in football, that just gives him even more opportunities out on that other edge. So big play seemed like a guarantee on this defense. You also got a lot faster in the second level with Owusu Koromoa and Anthony Walker. Offensively, Baker Mayfield just has to play point guard and distribute the football to play winning football. I think he's another one of these quarterbacks that kind of catches a bad rap. He gets through his progressions quickly and he had that same kind of feet, hip, quick action that I love the way he manipulates defense with his physical action opposed to just the eyes that I've raved about in Tua's game. A lot of that that was there in Baker's game as well. He just needs to not play hero ball and they'll be fine because they have the best running back tandem with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I like Jarvis and Odell. I don't think either one's an elite player, but they're both very good players. And then a good combo 
and perhaps the most underappreciated player in the entire team is Rashard Higgins. He's a big play waiting to happen. On top of that, you probably have the best offensive line of football. Jack Conklin, Wyatt Teller, J.C. Treader, Joel Batonio, and Jedrick Wills. And oh yeah, three good tight ends in Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and Austin Bryant. We finish up in the state of Ohio, almost said city, with the Cincinnati Bengals. Their offseason was Jamar Chase, Riley Reef, and Jackson Carmen with Larry Oak and Joby. Always good to get a division rivals player away from them, from the Browns. Tyler Shelvin, the LSU rookie. Trey Hendrickson, the big offseason addition. Cameron Sample, Joseph Osai, love his game. Cheeto Awozier from the Cowboys, and Mike Hilton of the Steelers, another theft from the division. And the big story for me with the Bengals suddenly becoming spenders like Hilton and Awuja just one year after they signed Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, as well as Von Bell at safety, a total remake without going heavy at the rookie position in the draft. If they can get those guys playing at their peak and they get them communicating early on, always tough to get guys to kind of come together and get the communication right away. They could really turn around that defensive production. Are they going to be better on the offensive line? Because Burrow's season-ending injury just kind of seemed imminent last year when you watched them every week. He was getting hit so much, so frequently, and they always looked so bad. And then finally, he does take a bad hit, and it cost him his season. Also, it's weird that you look at the, the deep passing charts, and the numbers bear out that they just could not hit vertical deep passes one year after LSU was kind of going back and forth with Tua and Bama as the most prolific vertical passing games in the history of college football. And all of a sudden they can't do it. So it's a volatile stat, but it was weird to see that Burrow off the ACL with an offensive line that really only added Reef and Jackson Carmen. That's a big storyline. Now, what he does have is a nice arsenal of offensive weapons. I wasn't as high on Higgins and Chase as some were, but I do think Tyler Boyd is among the best slot receivers in the NFL. The three of them together is a very nice trio, and I also like their collection of tight ends with CJ Uzama and Drew Sample from UW Go Cougs on that tight end position. And then in the backfield, if Joe Mixon can stay healthy, he's one of the very best pure runners in the game, but they do lose Gio Bernard, so the depth there has taken a hit if Mixon gets banged up again. I'll be curious to see how swapping out Carl Lawson for Trey Hendrickson works, and if year two will kind of have that remade linebacker core come together better than it did last season. It was a challenge, but getting injected speed at the position with Marcus Bailey and Akeem Davis-Gaither was a big boon for that Bengals defense. So for the NFC North, the best player for me is Miles Gaskin. The best quarterback is Lamar Jackson by a long shot for my money. Most might not think so, but I do. The best defender in the division, it's got to be Garrett, right? We'll go with TJ Watt to kind of balance it out there. The best rookie, I think, will be Najee Harris. The best coach is Jim Harbaugh with the Ravens. The most intriguing team to me is the Bengals. How does Burrow come back off the ACL? Can they protect him? Can that defense get better? And the champion... I had the Browns written down, but I'm going to go with the Ravens. I'm taking the Ravens because I just trust the quarterback. I trust the head coach and their defense always finds a way. And I like the additions they made on the offensive firepower position of the team. All right, that's going to be it for this week of podcast. It was great to be back with you all here on drive time. We're going to pick it right back up on Monday with the offensive line, finish out the position previews as well as the NFL divisional previews. And that includes our AFC East preview coming your way next week as well. You don't want to miss that. Until next time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Each of these podcasts are accompanied by a written piece up on the website, giving you all the stats, facts, and details you want to know about each of these players. So go check us out there as well. Until next time, fins up.